This is Alex. And this is James. And you're listening to the American Toffee Podcast. What's up, everybody? I hope you've had an awesome week thus far. Tonight, we're going to talk about Man City, how the boys performed at Goodison Park, as well as leading up to Watford, away from home. James, first off, let's start with a little bit of a a sad story. So Emiliano Salah, I'm pretty sure you saw, but as of about an hour ago, maybe a couple hours ago, his body was found and confirmed his, and he is officially deceased. Really sad stuff. Terrible to see. I mean, it was essentially, you know, all but confirmed at this point. And now it's officially confirmed. Rest in peace. We'll never know what he could have done in the Premier League. A sad story. And um, yeah, I, really sad for all the all the Nantes, Nantes and, and Cardiff City fans. Um, sad day for the world of soccer at large. It really is. He was 28 years old. From what I read, and don't don't quote me on this, but I read that he became a professional at 21. Again, don't quote me. I have no sources other than a comment I read. But, you know, to start your professional career so late and then die at such a young age, when, when you finally get a dream move to the Premier League, which I would say most players in the entire world would love to do, just to have it ended on some sketchy plane ride because you know, someone felt rushed is, is really awful. I went back and watched some highlight videos and he looked like a a pretty good center forward. So I, I'm pretty sad that we weren't able to see him play for Cardiff. Yeah. It's, it's just tragic all around and hopefully, you know, it serves as a lesson to, for future transfers, um, what those lessons are not entirely sure. Again, you mentioned the plane, all the things, and I'm sure there are more details to come out regarding that whole saga, but I mean, his family must be absolutely devastated, but I think it's at this point it probably was come, came as a relief to them to to have the official confirmation, so that at least they're not left wondering. Um, and yeah, just just really really sad. And best wishes to all involved, all the clubs he played for, and and hopefully they can move past this um, and on to you know the future, I guess. So on a little bit of a, a lighter note, or hopefully a much lighter note. Let's talk about the performance against Manchester City. Final score was 0 to 2. In my mind that that score doesn't or that score, excuse me, does not compute. It's it was 0 to 1 for me. How did you feel about it, James? Going in, it was <laughs> Everton Twitter was absolutely on fire for the past week. The fierce debate raging, oh, you know, do we want to lose to see to prevent Liverpool uh, you know, put City back on top, move Liverpool out of the, the first pole position of the Premier League. I don't think, and, and to be honest, you know, some of those thoughts sort of were going through my mind. It's like, we don't have anything left to play for realistically. And I really don't want to see Liverpool uh, win the league. And I was actually on a plane. I was away for the weekend, had a bit of an extended vacation. My flight got delayed yesterday. And so coming back, uh, to Maine today, my flight into Boston, there were a couple of fans. There was a West Ham fan and a Liverpool fan uh, talking. And I tried not to listen to too much of it, like eavesdropping, but 
I just I don't do not want Liverpool to win the league. But then once they as soon as the game kicked off, it's like okay. And you know, on top of it, we looked good and we looked rejuvenated and hungry and looked like we wanted to fight and all of those things were really good. And so within the first minute, I was like, yeah, I, I want to win this game. Let's get it. Let's get after it. Let's do it. Um, a lot of positives to take from it despite the result because, I mean, we couldn't beat Wolves. So realistically, were we going to beat Man City? We gave them a game. But again, the same mistakes that we've seen repeatedly over the course of this year come back to bite us, set piece goal, virtually free header for Emmerich Laporte. And it was so tragic, like on the cusp of halftime when we really deserve to be level with them for it to come apart. Uh, just right before the break, the worst time to concede. Yeah, you know, I have not ever, literally never come away from a loss, especially at home, and kind of been in a good mood. And the only reason why I was was because they really just, they put up the fight. They showed that they wanted to be on the pitch. Tom Davies wore the armband, which was great to see. He's done it in the past a couple times, but you could tell it really spurred him on. He he was he was leading by example. He did not stop running. And I saw kind of a funny tweet. He had his socks pulled up all the way, and they said, you know, it's chilly when Tom Davies has his socks pulled up all the way. But uh, otherwise, you know, all around, it was nice. It, it seemed like the fans really got behind the players, which it took long enough. But it also makes me wonder, James, why do you think it took us three months to show a little bit of desire? It's a question that is really tough to answer, especially coming you know, from such a bird's eye view from an outside perspective. I don't know why what this team needed, like a kick up the backside. Um, the, the game against Wolves really was one of the low points of the entire season and one of the lowest points of my time as an Everton fan. Just no fight in the team, capitulation, all of, all of the ugly problems showing up again. The set piece defending awful, no fluidity, no fight. And just to see that little bit, because at the at the end of the day, the bare minimum you want to see is the team fighting for the shirt and players who are if the, even if stuff isn't coming off and they're not executing it well, you can tell that they're trying and they're working hard. And that was something that's been absent from the team for so long. I'm not totally sure why, and I don't want to speculate, but some of it has to fall on the manager. Some of it has to fall on the players themselves. Uh, I think there was probably some introspection going on at Finch Farm after the Wolves game. And, you know, now we're here. Hopefully this, despite the loss, kind of kickstarts the rest of the campaign and and with very little pressure. And, um, you know, the report from Paul Joyce that came out uh, either yesterday or the day before talking about how from the board down, we've committed to pl- getting our youth players time uh, to play. Let's just give it a go for the rest of the season. Nothing to lose, nothing to play for. Let the kids play and, and see where we end up at the start of next season. Yes, we have talked about it previously. I think both of us have tweeted about it extensively. Our take is the fact that I think we have 12 or 13 matches left. And I think you put it best at one point. Welcome to preseason for 2019-2020. It starts early this time around, but we have plenty of time. And now's the time to show these guys that are on close to 100K a week that if John Joe Kenny 
or you know Tom Davies or Calvert Lewin is going to put in more of a shift than you are, they're going to start, not you. And furthermore, we have plenty of wages that we could get off the books, and you have about four months to show that yours should be on the books, right? So at that point, and then furthermore, you know, I really don't like Tottenham, okay? But here's what I will say. The reason why Tottenham are successful to a point, right? Because they're always, you know, runners up or or whatever, right? Uh, The reason why is because they have just done such a good job with breeding young talent and then being able to transition that into top players in the league, right? And that that goes all the way up to their wage structure, which is kind of um, a little a little redundant at this point. But reason being is if if you want to break into the top six, if you really want to have a go at it and create a squad that's going to last a while, not just buy five players that you hope are going to have their best, best two seasons and then be able to go from there, you have to be able to transition your all these young talented players coming out of Everton's academy and make them premier league level players top half premier league level players at least so that's the goal in terms of these young players James who do you think had a good game we had John Joe Kenny Tom Davies and Calvert-Lewin all start all of the above I thought they were all very good Tom Davies in particular stood out to me the local kid embodies what Everton is about fighting tooth and nail the energy levels are there and I mean John Joe Kenny in my mind has secured his position as our right back for the remainder of the season should he be fit say what you want about James Coleman one of my favorite players to ever play for Everton love him great servant but at 30 years old there's just there's no upside to continuing to play him um and and this sort of harkens back to even like the Sam Allardyce era where as miserable as it was, I think a lot of the issues that or resentment that came from fans towards Sam Allardyce was he would never like, you know, you're always coaching for your job, but at some point you have to look at the table and say, well, there's nothing left that we're going to really realistically do. So what do we have to lose? And he never, he never really reached that point. Like to him, it was you know, if you finish eighth versus 10th, who cares? It doesn't matter if you're building for something bigger. And I think that was something that he never really grasped, probably due to, you know, him always having been in relegation dogfights. And I think it's something now, Marco Silva, this pretty much guarantees that he's going to be, that the board is committed to him. And, and Farad Mashiri has come out and said as much that the board are committed. They're, this is a project. It's a long-term thing. We need to get the kids involved. I'm all for it. I'm 100% for it. And, and I'm looking forward to seeing John Joe Kenny play, to, to, um, to Tom Davies play, and to see Adam Lookman on the wing and Calvert-Lewin get some minutes up top. And and it's just, I think it's a positive, and it gives the fans something to get behind because even though in the short term, the return might not immediately be there, you know that, that that's not the goal. The goal isn't to finish eighth or ninth this season. The goal is to develop these players so that, like you said, they can become top half quality level Premier League players in the future. Exactly. So let's talk about two of these points, right? Tom Davies. Now, I agree that he was probably one of the best on the pitch for Everton, if not the best. And I think a lot of this has to do with the with with the type of role that he's now playing, right? So Tom Davies, I'm pretty positive throughout the his youth uh, career, played as kind of like an attacking midfielder, like a more forward midfielder. 
Now, generally speaking, we've seen Marco Silva play with kind of a flat two central midfielders and then a Gilfie Sigurdsson attacking midfield. Well, in the last couple of weeks, we've seen him switch it up. He plays one holding midfield and then kind of two dynamic midfielders in the center that are just very fluid, right? They can kind of float. And that's been Sigurdsson, Gomez, and Davies, right? And I think that's why he's been performing so well because you play to his strengths. His strengths are not sitting back and trying to distribute the ball, you know, out wide or or back inside. His strengths are moving forward, using his technical ability in tight spaces, being able to draw foul. Those types of things are his strong points. Do you agree with that? Do you think that could be why? Do you think there's another way that we can get more out of Tom Davies? I think it's still, it's it's always been kind of a, a bizarre question or a, a difficult question to answer as far as Tom Davies. Like he's been a midfield player, not a, not totally clear what his best position is. And I think you hit the nail on the head when he plays in that not advanced, really like a true center mid where you're expected to do, have, have a fair amount of responsibility defensively, but also able to get forward, carry the ball, get involved. I think clearly based off the performance last night, that's a role that he thrives in. And it, it speaks to, you know, the general tactical shift perhaps that Marco Silva is employing now where we're looking not at the four, two, three, one that has, in my opinion, kind of stifled Everton for the last several years, just the religious adherence to that specific formation. Now, with nothing left to play for, just we can experiment and, and try these types of things, give Tom Davies a run in that more true central midfield role and let him get up the field, try all sorts of different things and see what see what happens. And if it doesn't work out, fine. We can try again the next week. There's There's no reason why we can't give him the freedom. And it's important that as a fan base, we give the players, especially the young players, the encouragement that they need to play their best soccer. And like Goodison was great last night from what I could tell just over the broadcast and the videos that came out after the fact, that's the type of attitude that we want to see from the fans and the players. And hopefully, you know, the, the relationship, which with players masses leaving early after, before the wolves final whistle, hopefully this kind of is like a, a making amends, a coming together and we can all kind of get behind back behind this project, which at the start of the season, everyone was really thrilled about. And then there was just this little bit of regression, but every team goes through ups and downs of form. And so now hopefully we're on the other side of that. This can serve as a springboard to better things. Well said. So my last my last question or, or point about the match before we move into talking about Watford in a couple of days. So Adam Lookman, he's been playing well. I think everyone can agree the last couple of appearances since he's made his way back into the squad or got healthy, right? He was not in the squad in the 18 at Man- or against Manchester City. Why do you think that is? Do you think that's an injury? Yeah, I don't see any way you leave him out of the squad on merit, especially for Theo Walcott or like, you know, a, a James McCarthy, Morgan Schneider, and the players that are making the bench over him. There's no way that in Theo Walcott, God bless him, but I would be totally okay with him not seeing the field as a starter for the rest of the year. What an awful performance. Again, compounding the litany of other terrible performances that we've been subjected to from him this season. He can't do any, it doesn't seem like he can do anything well. Like even what you could accuse him of being a one-dimensional player with his pace, but he can't even utilize that at this point. 
can't cross a ball, can't beat a man, can't isn't making like the same type of really creative runs that he has uh, previously this year. So there's just nothing that he offers that Adam Lookman doesn't do better and has the potential to do miles, miles, miles better. So it has to be an injury. That's the only logical thing that I can think of. Uh, what about you? What do you think? That's exactly it. And, you know, I tweeted about it and you look at the bench, right? Marco Silva has actually stated as much that he prefers a plethora of attacking options on the bench in general. And that makes sense. When you looked at the bench uh, yesterday, then you saw that McCarthy and Schneiderlin both made the bench. And then you had Gilfie Sigurdsson. So you had three central midfielders on the bench. Okay. So with that being said, it's it's just got to be an injury. And I'm assuming tomorrow in the press conference uh, leading up to Watford, we'll probably hear more. But at this point, I guess uh, right before, I know I keep saying this, right before we go go into Watford, right? So the last piece, the Everton fans were singing and cheering for the boys after the match, even after a loss. And Marco Silva stated to the media that that was really important. They really loved it and they needed it. Now, further videos surfaced of John Stones cheering on the Gladys Street end and and waving to them and thanking them. And what do you, what do you think about that? I don't know. I- it's hard to fault John Stones for what he did. You can make some critiques perhaps about his demeanor when he was handing in transfer requests, but let's be realistic about where Everton are when it when you're a young def- English defender and a team like Manchester City come calling, you're going to want to go. And especially for him having come from Barnsley just a few years prior, like he didn't owe the club anything. He's looking out for his career the same way that Everton are looking out for their best interests in the sale of players. And at the end of the day, like we sold him for what was it? 50 million. And so it's, it's hard to like hold ill harbor, any ill will towards him. He's become a really, really good player under Pep Guardiola, where you look at a situation, we've been in some Twitter debates, you know, like how Ross Barkley leaves where you run down your contract and then you, you're, you half or get a third of the value of the player in the transfer market we got great value for him, similar to a Romelu Lukaku. And I'm sure, you know, he enjoyed his time playing here for what it was. And now he's, you know, competing in the Champions League and, and fighting for Premier League titles. A great player. And I, to be honest, I think we could really use him in our defense. I would love to have him back. But what we have now, we're beyond that. Moved on. It's good to see that he doesn't, you know, there's no ill will toward, from the player or from the fans. Agreed. So... Let's move on to Watford, James. We we've yeah. talked about, <laughs> yeah. I don't need your attitude, James. <laughs> no, let's do it. This is big. This is big, important. All right. So we've talked about all these young players, right? We've talked about you know possible injuries. So there, we played on Wednesday against Manchester City. We play on Saturday, three days later against Watford away. How do you think? will line up or or how would you prefer us to line up? And it doesn't have to be a whole lineup. You know, it can be specific players, you know, a strategy in picking the team, whatever, whatever you want, be creative. Well, it's a huge game for Marco Silva naturally returning to Vicarage road. I think the fans will be not particularly receptive to his reappearance. There's been a lot of banter between the two clubs since Silva left last year to join us. 
or rather was sacked and then later joined us. As far as the lineup goes, I'd love to see an unchanged back line, of course, Jordan Pickford, and then keep John Joe Kenny and Luca Dean, as well as the Michael Keane and Kurt Zuma partnership at center back. The midfield is where things get interesting. I'd be surprised if Gilfie Sigurdsson doesn't regain his place in the team. I think you probably have to rotate at least one midfield player. And so I'd expect to see Tom Davies. I would love to see Tom Davies, Gomez, and Sigurdsson. I think that may have some frailties. No, Nothing against Ghana, because I thought he played excellently against Manchester City. But I'd be curious to see what those three can do together. Um, and then the front line, I don't know. What are your thoughts on the lineup? So I like your bigs, yeah. I mean, back five, and, and when I say back five, I'm including Pickford in that. They've got to be unchanged. There's not really a whole lot of debate, you know, between injuries and and then just the Seamus Coleman versus Kenny. Play the young guys. Midfield, right, it's kind of a toss-up. I think that literally just depends on which of those four players is is not feeling physically up to it. That That's what it's going to come down to. So my guess, unfortunately, is going to be Tom Davies only because of how much ground he covered. But if he's up for it, which I think, you know, I don't think you'll ever turn Marco Silva down if you were to ask him, then, you know, you'll, I would guess you might see Gomez switch out. But otherwise, the front, the front three, I'd like to see Richarlison. I'd like to see Lookman if he's fit. And I think I might like to see Jank Tosin again up top. I was kind of surprised to see Calvert-Lewin at the weekend. You know, part of me thinks his strategy was obviously playing the young players in general, but I think a big part of that was put them in against one of the world's best teams and give them that experience. You know what I mean? Because playing is all relative. When you when you play against when you're playing against you know David Silva, De Bruyne, Sane, then you go you go against Watford and you've got. Uh, you have Dale Dale Le, who is huffing and puffing after 50 minutes, and then uh, Fat Troy Deeney. Then you know it's a little bit different. Yeah, Troy Deeney is kind of a, just a jerk. Uh, not a fan of his. So really, if you, if you really want a trip, take a take a look at Troy Deeney's Wikipedia page uh, about how he ended up at Watford. A wild read. Um, there's one story about him playing a game and scoring seven goals while drunk. Um, and there's some other really good tidbits in there. Yeah, I agree with you that I, I'm going to disagree and say we should start Calvert-Lewin. Nothing against Cenk. I think he does offer things that Calvert-Lewin doesn't, namely hold up play and sort of just like a savviness to his game. Calvert-Lewin's still very raw being as young as he is. Love to see Richarlison, uh, Calvert-Lewin, and Adamola Lookman if fit. If not, I would throw in Bernard on the right and see what he can do. I'm all on board the Walcott out train. I do not want to see him starting another game. He's had his chances, um, barring any injuries. Let's just try some new stuff. Try a player in that position that may not be their preferred position, but there's no way that Bernard can be worse on the right than Walcott is. That's fair. And you know what? That's the other thing that I think has really been on my mind and I haven't verbalized yet. Bernard, I think, is really one of the keys to next season. I say that because he's been working hard. He has a great work rate. He's trying to adapt to the league, right? He's been playing. He's been playing mostly on the left-hand side, but some people think that his best position would be in the middle of the pitch. And, you know, we're trying to figure out how do we fit Richarlison in the same team? 
you know, Gilfie Sigurdsson, right? We have a couple of mismatched peach, mismatched pieces. And I think that the rest of the season, along with these young players, is figure out in what situations Bernard works in in what role. Because in my mind, maybe if we're playing against a Man City or a Chelsea that look to possess the ball more, Bernard could be used in a forward, like in, a, in an advanced central, central midfield role because it fits more attacking players on the pitch and gives us more pace. Yeah, I really think that I agree Bernard um, is going to be one of the keys to our next season. I think this year, probably a bit of a flyer, give him some time to adapt. He's looked very inconsistent, had some unbelievably clever moments, great bits of skill. You can you know that the ability is there. It becomes adaptation and uh, probably needs some longer studs because it seems like at least two or three times a game, maybe that's an exaggeration, but at least once a game, he slips and falls when trying to like pull off a move. And it's so frustrating every single time. It's like some someone's got to figure out what's going on there. That's Getting real. That's some... that's not even an, an exaggeration. It's two to three times a match. Maybe it's because like his weight, you know, he can't get enough traction, like pressure on the ground. So he's just very susceptible to slipping. It it blows my mind every time. It's like someone's got to figure out what's going on. Um, but yeah, he can. He's a versatile player. And if you can play on the left wing, I mean, you can play on the right wing. It's not ideal, but like when you're a professional soccer player, you should be able to switch wings, like just cut in or, or you have to do some, some things a little bit differently. But I, I just don't buy like that as an excuse. And I think, again, no Walcott. So for me, at least, whether Marco Silva agrees, I mean, he's shown a lot of confidence in him to with continuing to play him since he hasn't really done anything in like 15 some odd games let's just try something new it is a very 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 important game both for you know marco silva and the implications he's of course going to want to win against his former club but just like we don't have a game now for 17 days after this and it'd be nice to have some positive talking points for that period of time and not just kind of ruminating on this very very poor overall last several months Right. And in terms of talking about importance of the match and the result, right? Unfortunately, Watford are contenders, direct contenders with us in the table right now this season. And so it becomes even more important to take three points on top of the fact that I don't think any blue is really allowed to like Watford anymore if they ever did. Definitely not. Not with all the the bad blood now that exists. I mean, I don't really rate Watford as a rival per se. They're more of just like, I mean, they're a little annoying pest. It kind of bothers us. We're still much, much bigger club and have more pull. And like, if we want to go nab one of their players, I think most players, despite the current table positions, uh, there's a lot more that Everton can offer that Wofford just can't. And I am, I don't want to even say I'm optimistic because at this point in the season, I'm not. optimistic about anything i'm just very centered i guess and like kind of just at peace with what we have to work with and it that comes with you know the fact that we're not freaking out about a tuna loss to city we know where we're at we know where we want to go and it's just about executing steps and making that become a more realistic uh proposition or, or a reality for us all right james so before we get into our score predictions i want you to give me what is your key to the match? It's going to be the center forward play. For me, we we really have at times had players show up 
Calvert-Lewin has looked good in moments, looked good against City, doing what he does. Always kind of has a really good game against Manchester City the last few times we've played them, and he's played. It's going to be about holding the ball up. It's going to be about our offensive set pieces. Can we execute? Because as poor as we are at defending them, we are also equally poor at finishing them uh, on the opposite end of the pitch. So maybe like to see some sort of balance restored or gained in that aspect of the game. And then really it's going to be about playing to the level that we saw against Manchester City and like not sinking down to the level of our opponent because it's easy to forget a week or was it two weeks? Two weeks ago, this team lost to a championship side that is probably going to get relegated and then put in a really hard fought game against hopefully the champions of England this season, the reigning champions at least. So what team shows up on Saturday? Are we going to just play Wofford square and, you know, split possession and, and look like equal footing? Are we going to regress and play worse? I'm hoping that we can assert ourselves early that the players have gained some sort of confidence from the performance yesterday and that we can just dominate the game from start to finish and that we end up victorious in the end. So yeah, I think it's just, can we see the continuity from the city game to the, to this game? Can the players carry over that attitude and fight at a, it's going to be an intimidating atmosphere. Like can they execute in that, that environment? What about you? I think you pretty much hit the nail on the head. If I'm, if I'm talking about an area on the pitch, cause you know, you kind of talked about an area on the pitch and then maybe, uh, uh, in intangible or for lack of a better term, I guess sure. for an area on the pitch, I'm going to, I'm going to say wing play. And that's because we actually have swung in the most crosses in the league this season. And we don't really have a whole lot to show for it. I mean, we're scoring goals, but not from crosses. And I think that with all the interchange we've had on the wings between our fullbacks and, and wingers, it makes it hard, you know, to really to really pinpoint an issue week in, week out. So it's going to be wing play. In terms of intangibles, it's going to be the away crowd cheering louder than the Watford home fans. So, James, what is your score prediction to wrap things up? How you feeling? Like I said, I'm kind of just resigned to another another year of Everton being what we are and have been for some time ever since I've been a fan. In amongst the best of the rest. I want to see some positive play. I want to see us win naturally. I'm going to go ahead and say we get a 2-1 win. It's not going to be pretty. Maybe a bundled goal uh, off of like a miss hit to, you know, clearance on a corner from Watford. Rest assured that Watford will score off a set piece. Like you can book that now. I'd almost bet my life on it at this point. I don't know what the odds the bookies are giving now on the, on that type of situation, but I'd say put your life savings on it because we can't. It's just crazy how expected it is now, where they get a they get a free kick opposition outside the eighteen in a dangerous area, and you're like, "Well, this is going in," and then it does, and you're like, "Yep, saw that coming." So, can we overcome that and put enough together on the offensive end? Can we score two goals? I hope so. I think so. Like to see Richarlison back on the score sheet. I'm going to go two one. Hopefully, this doesn't bite me in the butt. Good call, good call. I think I'm going to go 2-2. Two, two. I want to feel optimistic, but when you've got someone like Troy Deeney wandering around the 18-yard box or in and around the 18-yard box, and with our current aerial issues, 
I see that as, you know, as you said, it's going to be a tangible issue, but I also don't know that we can hold them to one goal. So, you know, only because they're at home. If we were at Goodison, I'd probably agree with you, but I'm going to go for a conservative 2-2 and and we'll see if if we can make that happen because, you know, as it's said, if you can win your home games and draw your away games, then you'll win the league. So, not to make that comparison, but, you know, Everton could be on the right track if we uh, can draw our away game. Very well said. All right, that's going to do it for us, everybody. Thanks for listening. Uh, we'll catch you probably Sunday after the match uh, with our post-match reaction and analysis. Thanks for tuning in to the American Toffee Podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at USA Toffee Pod to stay up to date on the latest episode releases and Everton news. And we'll see you guys next time.